Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And over the course of this series, we're going to be sitting down and creating a session-by-session campaign that you can either follow along with week by week or take inspiration from as you see fit. The first five episodes are on basic campaign development, and episode six will launch us into our specific campaign. Last episode saw us break down a brand new idea for an original campaign. In this episode, we're going to be discussing our archenemy and their lieutenants, and the next three episodes will see us flesh out the necessities of campaign preparation. But, before anything else, let's talk about the bad guys. Remember that through the duration of this series, we'll be building off an assumed party of the following five archetypes of a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman. They will be slowly leveling up, and we'll make sure that we're clear about what tier and specific level that we're working on. Now let's get to building. So we're talking about big bad evil guys. Here the arch nemeses. This is what we're looking for. The people we want the party to hate. Dan, why do we need this character? You need a goal. You need a person. You need a thing that is uh, tactile for your party to focus all their aggressions towards. And you need a goal. And nothing fits that goal better than an antagonist. They don't have to be directly antagonistic at the start. But they are ultimately going to be the final boss that these guys come across. Do, do you think they even need to be utterly revealed at the start? Uh, it really depends on your DM style and what you want to do. Some DMs I've heard say, yeah, drop, you know, drop the big bad evil guy session one and then, and then go on and pull them away from the campaign, but just give your players an idea of what they're dealing with. Other play, other DMs and games I've played in slow roll that all the way up until level 18 before you finally realize who the mass behind behind all of the stuff is. Okay, how do you do it? Me, I prefer to drop the uh, antagonist early, give them an idea of kind of who they're messing with, and then pull them away, right? Um, but I don't know, I'm kind of divided. The more and more I think about it, the more and more I've been planning separate campaigns, the more and more I'm like, no, nah, it needs to be a switcheroo. Yeah, well, I just pulled a big switcheroo on you in our Sunday campaign. Yeah, you and, did. And revealed that the uh, people that you thought were the bad guys the whole time actually launched the entire campaign and got you guys to go to go uh, off on your very first adventure. And they've been, they've been dealing with you even before you knew it. Oh, how, yeah. How did that feel as a player? Um, it was, okay, <laughs> it was really rewarding, um, but also incredibly frustrating at the same time. Because I'm playing a character who's supposed to know stuff and 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 is an investigator, but uh, new stuff just keeps on being opened up before him, and it's stuff like this, right? So it was really rewarding as a player, but as a character, it was a flip the tw- table in rage moment. Yeah, I, I think that that's what you want, though, is for yeah. your big bad evil guy to be enraging. You want not only the characters but the players. To have a legitimate emotional reaction. And it also needs to be a bad guy that is not the dungeon master. No. Because if you're the kind of person that just puts trap after trap after trap after trap in front of a party just to whittle down their hit points and laugh at them or smile smugly across the table when they fall for yet another pit trap, then they will resent you. Yeah. But... If you sit there and shake your head and go, God, I wish you guys had figured that trap out because this guy just like you fell into his hands. Mm-hmm. You totally went and talked to the person that we told you not to talk to and you did it anyway. And now look at you. 
That's not on you. That's the party having the information, making the choice themselves. We really have to, uh, as DMs and as players, understand that the the relationship between a DM and players is not an adversarial one. It is a cooperative one of storytelling and bringing a narrative together. Now, sometimes the DM is going to be, you know, opposed and uh, conflicting to to the rest of the players, but that's because they're playing... The bad guy. Yeah, and that's that's their job. And that's their job. Right. They're running the stats and trying to get in the mind space uh, of of exactly what's going on yeah. with these uh with these bad guys. However, we also give lieutenants. Yep. And why do we give lieutenants? Uh lieutenants give a sense of accomplishment and victory. Um so a lieutenant is any big bad evil guy that's not quite that big. Not quite that bad. bad. And uh, sometimes kind of not necessarily. Yeah, he could be, they could be, they could be good even. Like, it could yeah. be an angel, right? So, the, but they're definitely an antagonist, someone that you have to defeat on the way to defeating your overall villain. They're the Vader before the, the Emperor Palpatine. Exactly. Um, and they are also a good way to keep the plot moving. They're a great way to kind of show, um, when you're transitioning from tier to tier. Because your your lieutenants should kind of be your bad guys per tier. Think about it like a video game. It's boss battles, right? Yeah. And I, I like Mario is the best thing. Before you go, if a Mario 3 specifically, before you go fight Koopa, you have to fight each one of his damn children first. All fucking like 12 of them. Yeah, no, there's eight. And they just get progressively more frustrating as yep. you go. And that's how D&D should be as well. The bad guys should get harder. They should be increasingly more interesting. I mean, they should all be interesting. Yeah. But as you go, they should be more tied into the plot and they should show you the direction that you're heading. Exactly. Um, and in terms of accomplishment and victory, like they are still going to be major agents. You, you as players will feel the accomplishment of taking down a key cog in whatever your bad guy's uh, plans are. Yes. And on top of that, you want the bad guy to keep gaining ground off to the side. Right, where you, sure enough, you've saved this city, but the other city over there also fell. You defeated his lieutenant, but his captain is still alive. Yeah. Right? And so, as this continues to go, we're we're still ramping up the stakes. You can't have the big bad evil guy be the villain in every session. Otherwise, it's just you guys versus me as a DM over and over and over again. And that's not fun for anyone. No, it's really not. So what we've done is we sat down and we decided on one big lieutenant, quote-unquote lieutenant, right? With an quote-unquote overlord that sees over it all. But we kind of broke the mold on a couple of ways that we were thinking about it. So we have our, our big guy. And if you listen at the end of the episode, after the end credits, you can hear Dan and I pitch our big bad evil guys to each other and see who we liked yeah um and so what what we ended up uh landing on was uh asmodeus yeah right asmodeus no 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 he is not <laughs> mozart but he is uh he is asmodeus and he is um and we we know what he's up to early the players won't and they won't know that that he is that Asmo is the big bad guy. They may have never even heard of him, but he is essentially the ruler of the nine hells. He is the biggest, baddest, smartest devil, devil, arch devil in existence. And he has godlike powers. And if anyone is going to pull a fast one on the gods and kidnap them and make them go missing, it would be him. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is strategic. He should be one step ahead of the players at all times. And he's going to be... I mean, if you're going to have a big, bad, evil guy, 
Go with the biggest, baddest, most evil guy. Go with the devil. Right? <laughs> so you don't have to do this. You're, it could be a fallen angel. It could be a construct that's stuck on autopilot and can't stop. Mm-hmm. Right? There are a number of different ways to approach it, but we went classic evil because, honestly, it gives us a lot to work with when we're trying to plan out a whole campaign and many different smaller arcs all at once, before we even roll session one. Yeah. So... And this is something that we want to know in session zero. Yep. But maybe the players don't, right? We can drop a hint that, hey, you know what? There's going to be some planar stuff later. And if you listen to the previous episode, you know we'll go to the planes. Yeah. And they have a choice to go along the evil path or the chaotic path. And if they go evil, there are a lot more clues as to who this is, right? Yep. So and if they go chaotic, there's going to be a lot harder uh, journey for them to get to where they're going. Right. And so... We, we're going to give them the agency to be able to do that. But Asmodeus is definitely going to be set up. And his big thing beyond everything else is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the descent into Avernus, but they've got these uh, infernal machines. They're cars that run on soul coin tokens. The idea is that you take this, this golden coin, it's fairly large, and you put it into a slot and then the the machine burns it up like fuel, and that soul is destroyed, and this fuels it. Yeah. What do you think Asmodeus could do if with a machine that was fueled with deific soul coins? Right. And so this is this is kind of our our big plot hook. He is turning the gods into fuel for an apocalypse machine. I love it. So this is where we're where we're going. And these guys have no idea this is coming. If you listen to the previous episode really quickly, we're opening up a sinkhole on the same day that all the gods go missing. In the sinkhole, it's massive. The a whole city disappears into it. And then it reveals a slot to the underground. Or to the underdark. In the underdark, um, everyone down there has had their pantheon go missing too and sees the surface invading. And they're going to fight upwards as you fight downwards. And then you're going to learn... That the answers are not in the Underdark, they're in the planes, and you're going to go off on a journey through the planes. Yeah. So that's the overarching story that we're telling, but who's in there? Who are the people? And it can't just be Asmodeus. No, you need to build lieutenants for him as well, because your party of level five uh, you know, players aren't going to be fighting Asmodeus. No, honestly, level 20 probably shouldn't either, but, but. <laughs> but we, we got to get there. So um, at level one, I don't think they even know who they're dealing with. So let's find out who the lieutenants, the big, who are the big bads per tier? Per tier, yeah. All right, so let's roll dice, Dan, and then we'll see who's going to reveal which. Got a 15? Uh, I got a 14. Ah, oh, okay. So, so right out of the gate, tier one, your lieutenant, uh, big bad evil guy, is going to be an archmage that's being controlled by an imp. Okay, I absolutely love this because it's freaking stupid. It, no, it's ridiculous. And it's a great tier one level villain because it's going to end with a little bit of what? Yeah, oh, I, I like this because the Archmage, and the Archmage that we decided is going to be like level 20 power. Yeah. Right? But is controlled probably against its will by this imp mm-hmm. um, who is uh, going to be the one that's directly responsible for the drow pantheon going missing. Yep. And also, the sinkhole appearing. 
And I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know why the why the sinkhole showed up, what the imp did or the archmage did. Maybe fighting the imp or the drow versus the archmage or whatever it is. But the imp is the mastermind who is enthralled as level 20 mage. Somehow. Like he caught lightning in a bottle and now he's trying to use it. Yeah, and it's not going well for him. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> Right, uh, which I mean is going to be awesome for your players as well because uh, it adds a little bit of a dilemma. I mean, the imp is not going to be able to control the archmage as much as the archmage is going to be able to dump out on his own accord. So you can kind of pull your punches with the archmage a bit, and um, at the end of it all, when you know you finally take out the imp or whatever that is, your party now has a level twenty mage as an NPC if you didn't kill him. Yep, and I also like the idea of. Your goal is not necessarily combat. It's to sever the tie between, break the link. Exactly. And maybe you do that by murdering the imp. Maybe you just do that. Um, I mean, there's there should always be a violent way to solve any problem in D&D because they're all just a bunch of murder hobos anyway. Exactly. But but you should have other options down there as well to be able to address this concern. And we don't we don't know what those are yet. We no. we have no idea what's what's in the future. We don't know what next episode is yet. Um, we don't even know where this is happening except somewhere around a great big hole that goes in down the ground. under dark, yeah. right? Like that that's what we have. So I I really 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 like this idea of this imp who is just up to shit. Yeah. Right? And He's probably receiving direct orders from Asmodeus. And if you kill the imp, you will never find out. You will just know that somehow devils were involved. Yep. Right? And I think that that rewards people in one way and not necessarily punishes them. It just removes a little information that they could have gotten earlier. Exactly. And this isn't information that they're never going to get, obviously. But it removes that key information early for now. It kind of puts it on pause. Um, remember also that imps are, although uh, devils are still conniving, they're still um, self-serving. Self-serving. Of, very. Of all of the devils, of all of the lawful evil devils, imps are by far the most chaotic because they will just straight lie to you and do whatever they want anyway. Yep. And hope they don't get caught. So your party now has a ton of options in front of them once they discover that, you know, this archmage is responsible, and then they discover his power, and then they discover there's an imp involved. Like, there's a lot you could go here. The thing that I like about this is that it is so simple and easy and straightforward, and it's going to kind of show the idea that not everything is as it seems early on, and it's still going to be a challenging enough fight uh, and mystery for a level one through five party to work on as they're running around dealing with all of the different refugees yep. from this missing city. They're trying to figure out why the gods aren't responding to them. There's all these different aspects of, of the world that, that is in turmoil around them. And meanwhile, there's one archmage who just seems to be kind of off his rocker. And maybe you even know him ahead of time as an ally. Or, or a guild leader. Or, yeah, or an NPC. We don't know, right? Someone is is coercing him to do this. And when you find out it's an imp, it draws a lot of good parallels that I think that maybe we can mirror again in the future at the very end when we think that maybe they never know they're going after Asmodeus. If they think they're going after, I don't know, Paylor. Heronius, one of the good gods that has locked everyone else up, that has is being controlled by Asmodeus. Yeah. And the parallel was there the entire time. And I they, love it. They just never knew it. I love it. I absolutely love it. 
All right, so for tier two, what we're going to do is we're going to dig a little bit more into the setting of, of the area. Um, and we're dealing with the drow that are invading. So we said in the last episode that tier two is the underdark is invading up into the uh, surface level. And there needs to be a general, someone that is uh, obviously evil, that is enslaving people, that is dragging them down uh, into the into the pits. And I think that we should just lean into it and have a drow priestess. And remember we said that maybe they don't necessarily win tier two yep. or there's a big loss or there's there's a sense of of danger definitely a drow priestess if you get one of the matrons out of the out of the uh, I guess volos and uh, oh they're nuts they're like they're high 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 CR yeah. you won't be able to fight them you'll have to fight a bunch of drow at, at level six through ten you're fighting a bunch of drow uh, and they're going toe to toe with you. And by the time that you go face to face with the priestess, you better have a plan. You'd better have some yep. sort of MacGuffin that can stop her, because you're not going to do it on your own. If it's a straight fist fight, you're done for. Yep. And she has uh, marshaled her forces uh, to claim revenge upon the surface dwellers. She is uh, just out for blood, and I think that when she realizes that your party is not necessarily at fault. And that you may have some insights into the fact that there was this imp and that there's more going on here than you think, then she is going to back off and maybe even allow you passage behind enemy lines to get down into the Underdark. Because that is where we're heading in Tier 3, right? Right. So maybe having a drow um, priestess on your side to uh, help... Because remember... Drow houses fight each other as well. Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of politics. And if you have, we're talking a lot about guilds in this as well. Maybe your guild teams up with her while your opposing guild teams up with her enemy's house. Yeah. And so this sets you up with what was once a villain is now an ally again. And we're doing it two different ways. The first way, they didn't really earn. We gave them the imp and the archmage. And they killed the imp, and the archmage kind of came to his senses. This one, they've got to earn the favor of the drow priestess, and we should have worked the murder hoboism out of them at this point. You would hope. You would hope, and there should be a little bit more, um, more role play and uh, political intrigue, more, more discussion with NPCs. They should be more connected to their characters by this point, for sure, and should be able to make decisions in character that aren't just helping along the plot and, and solving things, but also make sense for their characters. Yeah, and if, if you need to get a drow priestess's um, attention, you kill her concubine. Mm -hmm. And those guys are, are pretty powerful too, right? Like, there are ways for you to do, to, to still have the combat, to still be able to be, like, there are captains under the generals, and there are lieutenants under the captains, and there are all sorts of named NPCs that you'll be fighting all the way here. We haven't really fleshed any of this out. We're not quite sure. I'm kind of spitballing at Dan right yeah. now, but I really like the idea of this drow priestess that is the big, bad, evil guy for Tier 2, and you finally get a face-to-face, -face and she says, I understand that we're actually on the same side. That is pulling the rug out. Right? Your players are going to stop and go, wait, what? what? Yeah. And also giving a little bit of agency and saying, hey, we're, I'm going to set you guys up down in the Underdark. You go ahead and get your friends back. Destabilize this house for me, and I will protect you as much as I can. This gives you an entirely different feel of the fight on the surface level, taking the fight to the Underdark, right? It, it gives you Tier 3 
espionage and and guerrilla warfare and sneaking through the sewers in the underdark and the caves and 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 it it gives you a new dynamic down here as you're trying to solve the mystery of where did the gods go yeah because ultimately this priestess wants to know where loth went as well oh yeah for sure so for tier three, I've got a bit of a flip the switch because we know for tier three, we are um, as a party, as a group, we are now diving into the Underdark to uh, fight back after the trials of them coming out and invading the surface world. Right. We've lost NPCs at We've this lost point NPCs. Right, to we're, slavery down below. We're all hurt. We're trying to break this uh, slavery ring down below and save our NPCs as well as figure out more information about what has happened to the gods. Um, what we wanted to do for a big bad evil guy and a lieutenant at this stage is um, we kind of agreed on a stone golem, uh, almost a uh, AI construct controlled by these opposing drow houses that you now have to fight through to rescue your friends, rescue your allies, and find out more information about the missing gods. Um, you will find out that these uh, infernal machines and artificial intelligence and uh, constructs are being flooded into the Underdark uh from supposedly more devils who are trying to force their way through. And I like that because that's a tie back to the imp. This is where if you didn't figure out that the imp was working for arch devils, right? And the arch devils were still around or whatever it is. If you didn't get that information at the end of tier one, you can get it at the beginning of tier three now, yeah. right? As you find out that the drow are using constructs and... And the devils are the ones, like, supplying these war machines to them. Exactly. And, and what just occurred to me, Dan, I know we've talked about this prep for the episode, but it just occurred to me because, of course, the drow are using these constructs, and we need to drop these earlier than Tier 3 smaller constructs in because we dropped the faster ones in and not the big, like, juggernaut behemoth level ones because... Man, there's a giant hole in the ceiling, and the sun is getting into the Underdark. The drow can't fight. No. Right? They will be shrouded and attacking at night, and so their daytime forces would be these constructs that they control. Yeah. And you are also coming across another small problem here that um, with uh, the missing gods that I think now at Tier 3, you could really start to pull out. It's a little bit more of an environmental issue, but... The Raven Queen is gone, or whoever your goddess of death, or whoever runs the transition between death and life is, they are now gone and missing. So all of the souls of all the dead people from the drow invading the surface world, from you heading back down under into the Underdark to fight, they just stay where they lie. So now you're um, going to be fighting this stone golem because he's got to power these infernal machines somehow. We've already discussed you would power them with souls. So this guy's going around collecting souls, turning them into soul uh, coins himself and feeding his machines. This is going to tease you this little and inform your party at tier three, the whole mechanic about soul, uh, soul coins. Yes. Now, this is really important to drop. For the very end of the campaign. Yeah. Right? Because that's going to be a big reveal. So we've got, we're introducing an idea, a plot point early. The other thing that we're, that the reason that we chose the AI, the thing, the reason that we really, really liked it for this campaign was because A, there have never been a lot of constructs in 5th no, edition. Not really. So a lot of people have kind of ignored them, except for the odd clay golem. You don't run into them that often. Modrons aren't really used as much as, as they should be, yep. you know. However, 
with Eberron and Avernus coming out recently, there's a lot of information out there. You can use Warforged and just take out the, the intelligent aspect of them and turn them into AI. <laughs> think about fighting... They're more in lands. <laughs> Warforged. Yeah, well, think about fighting a, a Warforged Colossus. Right, and maybe that is the enemy here. The big bad guy is a warforged colossus, just a gigantic construct. Yeah, it's gargantuan. It's so big that you can have a a a dungeon crawl through its insides. And so this information exists out there. We want to play with it because most players haven't seen anything like this. No, it's brand new, and there are some crazy rules for constructs, right? Like a lot of spells don't work on them, or you know they, the fact that they don't need to eat or sleep or breathe. Yep. Um, and so there's there's a lot of really cool aspects, f- and from a mechanic that we're not really familiar with, um, because we don't get to play a lot with constructs in our regular games. When you're building your big bad guys. Look at what we've done. We did something that you could go either way, social encounter or combat against the imp. Um, a social encounter and a, a reversal of fortune with the priestess. But this is a straight battle, right? Like Either that or it's exploration, trying to find the off switch. Yeah, but I think you're fighting devils yes. and drow yeah. and stuff. In and, it. and that's the point to do this. You want your party to feel big and heroic? They gotta fight something. Yeah, they need to use all of those skills. The barbarian needs to smash. The rogue needs to sneak. Flex those muscles. Yep. Yeah, and so make sure that wh- whether or not it's the priest archetype or or the mage archetype, whatever it is, they they get to cast spells. And so the give them a larger than life uh, thing to fight. Whether it's a it's a warforged titan or or a colossus or a merit that you've depowered a little bit. Yeah. Right? Whatever it is, you can amp that up to be a tier three villain. And maybe the whole thing is up until this point that it's still the drow bad guys. And they're just trying to get this thing operational. And that's tier three. Yeah. And at the end, oh shit, they do. They got enough soul coins. That they can turn this thing on, right? And so this is your big. This would be the end of the movie. The whole ha ha, and they 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 win. They fight. They do it. They they free their friends. They've toppled the enemy drow house. There's all of this really cool stuff going on. But you know what they haven't done? They haven't solved the mystery yet. Not yet. And so they are the big heroes. They will. They will create statues and erect monuments for them. Your players will have their faces carved into the sides of mountains, but there's still more to do. But there's still plot to go through. So, here's one of the most underutilized villains in regular D&D lore, in my opinion. It's super interesting, and if you're not already familiar with Yugoloths, you're not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but there's an Ultraloth out there. Some say he's a normal Ultraloth. Some say he's a, he has extra powers. But he's called the General of Gehenna. Gehenna is one of the neutral evil planes of existence. Mm-hmm. And he just disappeared one day. And the Yugoloths speak about him like he is some sort of mythic creature that is out there building a Yugoloth army to get revenge on everyone else and take over the lower planes. So Yeah, they're sick and tired of being stuck in the middle of the blood war. Yeah. Yeah. And so he is sitting back, building his army, and I think now is the time to bring him forth and to have the right hand of Asmodeus show his face, and taunt the party through the planar travel. 
Yeah. Consistently using constructs that he's gotten from the devils. It turns out that the shape changing Yugoloths have actually been there all along and it was never devils. <laughs> and so you're pulling the rug out. You're subverting expectations again. And it is this general of Gehenna that is going to be this massive. And you can have the Lord of Blades from Eberron even come in. Oh yeah. And, and fill this same role. But I think we want to go with Yugoloths. Because of the planar aspect of them. Yep. Um, but running around the planes, chasing or being hunted by these these plane hopping fiends that can travel up and down the river sticks at will. Yep. Right. And so they, him running this army and you fighting him, and I think that that's the big fight that you get through, and you think, hey, you know what? At level nineteen, we killed him. We're at the foot of Mount Celestia. We've made it from the abyss to Mount Celestia. We've, we've busted our asses. We've lost. We've won. We're epic heroes. We've plane shifted. We, we destroyed entire cities in our, uh, of evil on our way through. And this is great big epic thing. We made it to the end. And now here we are. It's level 20 and we got to the bottom of Mount Celestia and we got it. We got to the lawful good. Here we are. Everything's great. And now we've defeated the general of Gehenna and everything is good. It's time to climb the mountain. Yep. And rescue the gods next session. But no. But no. You yeah. have an entire three or four sessions of everything going wrong on Mount Celestia and learning that as uh, Asmodeus has been pulling the strings all along. Yep. And and this is when you actually get to flex those level 20 muscles and your party actually gets to use those abilities. There are a lot of Bad guys in the Monster Manual and Mordenkainen's especially, but also Volos, where there are some some high-powered villains that run very simply, and they're not as scary as they as they seem by their stat block. For example, adult dragons being at such a low CR rating yep. when their intelligence is high enough that they should they should be villains. Still, so they could be end of campaign villains. Yep. There are dragons. There are the titans. Yep. There are many, many, many big, bad, evil guys out there that we say, you know what? We're, we're, we're going to use this one thing over and over again. Everyone's going to go fight a lich. Who, why are we not fighting mummy lords at level 20? Because their CR isn't high enough. Well, yeah, of course. But they absolutely could be if you give them the right environment, you give them the right strategy. And so we wanted to showcase, go find your, your hags or your sphinxes, or all of those creatures that you see at the higher levels and go, oh, that that's neat. And then you never look at them again. No. Or you think that they're a one battle encounter. <laughs> Have that subverted expectation. The person that they think this is the bad guy that's been doing this all, this one guy who's been lying in wait, or this one group, whatever it is, and we go and we fight them and it finds out that, oh my God, there's someone even worse. Yep. And so that's... That's why we chose that. And you see the progression that we've gone in, right? Oh, yeah. You see that we've gone from, you know, this lower tier subvert, and we're just slowly growing that up, right? You see that each villain, in some way, shape, or form, either subtly or not so subtly, very blatantly and in your face, is going to point you to the end of your day, Asmodeus. Yep. Whether or not it's the... the Archmage who was super powered but didn't know what he was doing, or the imp that was pulling his strings. Yep. Or it's the drow priestess who thought she was defending her people's uh, faith and her religion and fighting the evil surface dwellers who all of a sudden 
understands that the opposing house is behind a lot of this and is going to need to side with the party to fix this. Yep, or it's the construct that, yes, it's going to go on a murderous rampage, but because it's been programmed and it has no free will and it's almost an environmental thing, all the way now up to the general of Gehenna, who you think is the one pulling all the strings. Who's been, who's, and you know, your party's going to Google him and say, and find the lore that says, Shrouded in mystery, nobody knows there. And that's perfect. Yeah. That is exactly what you want. And what we're doing is subverting that expectation, but also giving you the payoff of beating them. Mm-hmm. Of moving forward and defeating them and closing that chapter before you move on to the next one. And the overarching story, um, the, the book, as your closing chapters, the overall book is this fight to Asmodeus. Yeah. And if we, if we do our job, we're going to show you how to tease that ahead of time and have them not realize it until they look back in retrospect. Oh, yeah. So um, with little omens and and hints and clues. and Like, we, we I mean, this is a 1 to 20 campaign. Yeah. If, if you're making it to this point, you've put a minimum a year into this. So it's, it's, you've had plenty of time to drop little hints and they don't have to be super blatant. But, I mean, encourage your players to keep everything you give them. Yeah, absolutely, because there may just be hidden messages on them. Yep, they, which you have done multiple times to me. Yeah, and you haven't even used a black light on any of them yet. So, <laughs> just watch Dan's brain crumble. Wait, what? <laughs> so, there are many different ways to, add, a bitch. <laughs> to add clues and puzzles and riddles. Um, and we're going to go through that, but it's one of the different ways that we want to use um, dynamic encounters. And we'll talk about that in, I guess, episode five is when we're going to deal with that. Oh, yeah. But um, but it's one of the ways that we want to include this to be able to flesh out the generals a little bit more. Dan's like trying to stay focused, but he just wants to reach for his D&D binder right now. <laughs> you have no idea. It's right there, right <laughs> next to me. I'm just like, how do I get a black light? <laughs> so... Um, so no matter what it is, from the um, the Archmage with the Imp to the Drow Priestess, the Infernal AI, the General of Gehenna, or Asmodeus himself, every one of them has their own mission statement. And that's so key. And I guess that's the thing that we want to end off with here. Yeah. Dan was talking to me beforehand about it's so important to know the motivation of your bad guy. And that's the thing that we've been talking about this whole time without really pointing it out. Yeah. Know your motivation and have them all be different. And if you can, and, and notice how all of ours are drastically different from each other. But they're all pointing at the same plot. Right. And, and that is also key. You don't want to just have, well, I was looking at Warforged. So now your villain for tier one is a Warforged. No, find the things that, that inspire you from a story perspective. Dan's whole thing about the, the imp and the archmage reminds me of Jafar and the Sultan from Aladdin. Yep. Right. Find your inspiration where you find it. If you want to tell that story, the tools exist in D&D land. Mm-hmm. You just have to find out what they are, right? So we want to hear we, what big bad guys are you coming up with and why do you do the things you do? When do you subvert and when do you not? When do you have evil with a capital E and evil with a lowercase e, right? And there are many different ways to approach this, but having escalating... That's the other thing that we talked about, was escalating difficulty yep. in encounters. I actually think that the Drow Priestess is a higher CR than a Stone Golem. I think so. Oh, yeah. However, we introduce her first because that encounter is easier than the encounter against the... the, well, the whatever stone, it is. The, the Stone Golem, the Merit, whatever we end up using that space, is a fight. It is a fight 
To the death. To the death. Straight on. You can diplomatize with a drow priestess. Yes. Right? Not going to be easy for you because they're a drow priestess. And let's be honest, their way are the highway. Their way are the spider web. But uh, have the female talk. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But but what, whatever it is, you should know what you're going into and you should pull from different places to build like this. Now, keep in mind, too, that we are talking about the villain per tier. There will be a villain per level as well and a villain per session mm-hmm. and maybe even this villain per encounter. And there may be some recurring villains that pop up here and there as well. These are just your tier villains, your lieutenants and your main campaign villain. This this is all pointing back to what we said in the first episode where I have that central theme, that two-sentence thing that you could summarize your campaign. These are your villains that point to that two-sentence uh, mission statement. And honestly, each of them should have two sentences that describe them at this point, because all you're doing is bit of building a skeleton. We haven't had session zero yet. No. We're just coming up with the idea to see what happens. Don't get married to your ideas. Throw down every idea you can think of and see what fits. Yeah. And you can listen to us throw down a bunch of ideas after the end credits. So, now that we have a good grasp on who we're going to throw at our players... Let's take a week, and we'll allow the ideas to percolate in our tiny little brains. Hopefully, this will give us some opportunities to come up with some interesting set pieces, including environmental challenges and potential enemy strongholds and layers. So, tune in next week when we discuss ideas for environments and locations that will make this campaign on the Missing Gods as memorable as possible. Thanks for listening to this episode of the new It's a Mimic Campaign Builder series. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. I got a 16. You got a natural one. Oops. Wolf. Okay. Uh, right off the top, I have a uh, metallic arch dracolich. Metallic, though. Metallic. So it used to be good and has fallen. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Uh, I went kind of similar, but also radically different. So the idea is I, I went with a D&D monster as well but their motivation is the fact that they are they've been around forever i don't know how much you know about aboliths but aboliths have um uh, that hive mind thing it's not right? even hive mind. That, it's, that... it's racial memory yeah so you remember what the first aboleth the first one back in your uh entire like family tree you know every memory from every one of them so this villain is the aboleth from the future the last aboleth that remembers everything and knows how the universe ends Oh, I love that. I just got to say, though, if you are bringing in Aboliths, you have to play with memory with your parties as well. It's such a big part of Aboliths, you got to do it from... uh, Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Adam, you have said that you're a big fan of hags. I'm also a big fan of hags. 
And I would say your big bad evil guy doesn't need to be a, a single hag or even two hags. Throw 13 hags. I love the idea of 13 hags in a coven. That's the super coven. I put that in my own games more than once. Yeah. And this also gives you a ton of cannon fodder later on. Mm-hmm. And when you give different combinations, different kinds of hags, they get different powers. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. I love having hags. What about this? There's ancient dragons, and they've been around for a long, long, long time. But what about the original red dragon? Primordial dragon. Exactly. I love it. This thing is beyond colossal size. This thing is huge, size of a mountain. And it has been kept in one of the other planes and now is waging war against the gods. Oh, I love it. How about a usual uh, agent for the gods falling and enslaving an archdevil? I'm saying like a fallen Empyrean and an ens- with a pet enslaved archfiend. Or Archfey. Or something that it is using to cause this havoc that is reaching, uh, wreaking the lands. That's cool. I, I'm very similar on my next one as well. I just went with a, an uh, archangel on a power trip who just said, I can do this better than you. If you were really lawful good and you really upheld everything that was, that was all good and, and hope and joy in this world, why do you allow the blood war to keep going? Mm-hmm. That's it. The group of you, lockdown. I will run the universe. Oh, I love it. Um, I went with a, um, for my for my next option, I went with a very real character that we could all see happening. A incredibly powerful archmage um, who just had a bad roll of luck one day and became completely dominated by an imp who's a <laughs> little overambitious. I went, I went similar, but I went with... Take one of the big good guys, Mordenkainen or Elminster, gone mad with power. They saw into level 20 magics. And it broke them. And now they're trying to put the universe back together. Because they're trying to solve the problem. And you can't do that with deities mucking about. No, no. Definitely not. Um, I went with more ground level for uh, my next uh, big bad evil guy. A militaristic despot with very questionable heritage this guy is probably some sort of um arch himself or arch fiend himself who is slowly realizing his level of power for amnesia forgetfulness bringing in and he's slowly uh working this realm working his own guilds to be able to solve the problems that have happened in the past years all right so you went with ground level i went with subterranean level i'm thinking we're going under dark mm-hmm do you know how high level the drow are in the monster manuals and bolos and whatnot? They're super powerful. They're high, high, high CRs. So why not just... I mean, it, it screams drow high priestess to me. And you can get right into the crazy drow society of the enslaving men and the, the matriarchy and loth and all that shit. It makes a lot of sense to have a drow high priestess somewhere in the mix. I love it. Um, I went with... If you have a... Band of deities that have gone missing for whatever reason. Uh, we mentioned in the last episode bringing a pantheon of old deities in. Bring in your guys from your previous editions. You got your Paylors and your uh, Cords and these other deities coming and forcing their way in because they were kicked out of their last dimension. And now not only do you have them supplanting, even the good deities are coming in and supplanting this other uh, these other group of deities, but there's a reason for it and your party is going to be involved in that as well. 
My next one is very, very, very similar to that, but a little bit more ground level. It is a single cleric of Cord or one of the fallen. Oh, gods. I like that. Yeah, and he has stepped forward and said, "No, no, no. They've got to come back. And the first thing we have to do is lock these guys up and bring so that we can bring these guys back in. We have to kick everyone out of the room so we can bring in new people. And he's just a cleric that somehow made it into the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, mine is kind of similar to that, where it's a human warlock whose patron and literal thing embodying him and possessing him is a legit great old one. And I'm not talking about your Yig level great old one. I'm talking your Yogg-Sothoth great level great old one. Your big papa daddy great old one. Everyone should go listen to our Halloween special from, from this year, 2019. Yeah. For the warlock patrons where we broke down all the great old ones. We went through 12 of them. And there's some great ideas in there for exactly what you're talking about. Exactly, yeah. Okay, uh, I went a little bit different. I wanted to dig into a little bit of the D&D lore. So the Yugoloths don't have gods. But the closest thing they have is called the General of Gehanna. And the General of Gehanna is a almost mythical uh, figure in Yugoloth lore. And the Yugoloths run around in Gehenna and Hades and all of the kind of neutral evil planes trying to find him. And he apparently has his army of millions. And he will end the blood war by siding with one side or another and tipping the scales ultimately. Or maybe just taking over all of the lower planes eventually. And he's just an Ultraloth with a shit ton of power who's been so far removed for so long that he's been just building and building and building and now he's made a move against the gods. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, my next one is a new unheard of deity. Uh, maybe a mortal who is... His name is Jake. Jake, sure. Uh, someone who has accidentally come into deification. Um, through trickery or through whatever, what, whatever it is, he stumbled into it and his mere presence, his mere uh, fact of existence is throwing everything into uh, disarray. He doesn't even necessarily know he's this level of deity and is still walking the realm, causing crap to go wrong all over the place. And your party has to find him. He's not exactly a directly antagonistic antagonist. He's more of a... Uh, stuff just keeps on going wrong around him and you find out he's the god of bad luck or something like that. And the only reason why a sinkhole appeared was because, I don't know, he tripped and fell one day and that hole appeared. I like it. <laughs> okay. Um, what about grabbing an actual demon lord but one of the less popular ones? Your uh, Fraz or Blue or one of those... Just the, the, your, your dweeblicks. Yeah. Right? They're just making a play and nobody saw it coming because everyone's looking at Demogorgon or Orcus or whoever. Right? And so you have someone that is just has subverted the entire hierarchy in the, the abyss mm -hmm. and the lower planes and just suddenly out of nowhere made their play. I love it. Um, my next one is a... Um... I'm not a huge fan of Everon, but I'm going to pull from it on this one where you have your Warforged around. You have a self-realized AI of some sort, some technological intelligence that has decided that uh, the worship of gods and everything else is um, archaic and has no use in this world and has used technology to squash the old ways. 
Oh my god, I think that he just had like a like a crisis. There's a soul inside like a metallic a metallic creature, right? Yeah. Um that was created. It's a construct. Do you have you seen Rick and Morty? There's one part where where Rick just uh, on a whim builds a little robot and gives it sentience. Yeah. And uh, what am I? You pass the butter. Yes, but what is my purpose? You pass butter. And he goes, "Oh my god." It just has this crisis. This little robot and it's just a bit it takes place like <laughs> like right before the opening credits and it's just like this, this robot doesn't know what's going on now imagine that thing has a shit ton of power and an army behind it and like an ability to replicate yeah an entire area where mag like magic doesn't work yeah and all around him because he is um this is an idea from like shadow run where if you're high technology you are crap at magic and if you're high magic you're crap at technology i, I like the idea you can almost go um Go the animatrix with it, where it they just become self aware and say, "You built us to be slaves, to go to war for you, or to yep. to, to break down in the mines so that you wouldn't have to." And this is our revenge now. It is our time, time of the constructs. That's really cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, it's under dark. It's gods, Lolf. Like, do I need to say anything more on that one? No. Right. Like <laughs> just like. She's finally made her play. Yep. And I've been waiting for Fifth Ed to address Lolf. And it really hasn't happened. Not not to the degree that we want to see. Not not really at all. Um, my final one here is... Uh, I'm, I'm going more with that uh, uh, adventurer who has become a deity um, himself. And um, is... It kind of fits with your demon side as well. But this is a human level deity who is... Uh, Probably sitting in the back of like a thieves guild or an assassins guild or something, and has um, used the blood war, used the deities, used these other things against each other, and has generated this massive celestial war just so he could weaken everybody, so he could go through and mop up everyone else. Almost like a trickster god, like a, yeah, a new trickster god. Uh, not not Loki, haha, trickster, but but like Kefka, yeah. Cool. I'm going to ramp this up to the one that I believe is the only correct answer, and it was the last thing that occurred to me, so I'm a little ashamed it didn't get to me first. Asmodeus. The single smartest god. The god that has tricked other gods into giving him an entire plane of existence. The god that said, you know what? I'm just an archangel. Give me godhood, and I will take care of this blood war. He has such a rich, deep... You mean Archdevil, right? No. He was... He's a fallen angel. Oh, cool. Originally. And he turned to all of the good uh, deities and said... Because um, he got corrupted from fighting the, all the demons. And he said, look, I will tie up the demons. But you need to give me a little bit of power. You need to let me kind of run the Nine Hells for a little bit. That's very analogous to Zeriel's story as well, right? Yeah. And that's why he actually takes pity upon Zeriel. And, but he is the, like, obvious smartest best strategist of all of them and he consistently has machinations that not even the gods understand and a lot of people think that he is purposefully keeping the blood war going and could stomp out the abyss whenever he wants but he's keeping it going to feed the war machine so the celestials aren't watching how closely he's building his armies that's a big bad evil guy for the end of a campaign. Oh, 100%. And so, I don't know, I just got really excited and I'm like, oh my god. Oh my god, it's time for Asmodeus.